Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. We're a church in Belton, South Carolina, who's committed to love God, love people, and build the kingdom. We're currently in a teaching series through the book of Acts titled To the Ends of the Earth, where we study the early church and principles that we can apply even today to our local churches. We pray that you will enjoy this podcast and that it would be beneficial and just leading uh, to, to new teachings in your heart. If you would, please like, share, and subscribe this teaching to make it more readily available to those that you love. We love you, and God bless. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you have a Bible with you today, if you do not, uh, right outside this door uh, is a station with a library where we would love to put a Bible in your hands. Uh, So if you have your Bible today, we are going to be studying still, of course, the book of Acts. Woo! Yeah, two people are excited for Acts, and I'm one of them. Uh, Before I can take you there today, I want to take you all real quick. I'll give you a second to flip uh, to Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 18. It is hard for me. My children have an uncle named Luke, uh, and there's like a... Something with our family where the boys can't do their L's, right? So it's a W. So my boys have an Uncle Luke, right? So every time I go to go to the book of Luke, I have to hold myself to not say go to the book of Luke because then everybody else would be like, what is wrong with him, right? So now if you ever hear me say go to the book of Luke, now you understand why. Uh, So go to the book of Luke chapter 18. And once you're there, if you will, stand with me. We're going to read the Word of God together. So the the book of Luke, chapter 18, I'm going to read from verse 35 through verse 43. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Very important to hold on to that phrasing. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38, And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Verse 42, And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God... We're just so thankful to be in your house this morning, God, to be able to be called your people, Lord. And I just pray that this morning, God, in your house as your people, Lord, that we would have our minds and our hearts focused on you and you alone, God, that we would set out any distractions, set out anything that is not of you, God, and just dig into your word and your teaching together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Or you can stand, you know. Just giving you options this morning. So I'm going to pick up uh, our study of last week uh, in the book of Acts. This is week five. Uh, Today's message is entitled, The Hope 
of life. And here in the book of Acts, we have a a really tough tough one to follow, right? We're coming out of Acts chapter 2. And most people, when they reference the book of Acts, that's pretty much the extent of their knowledge of the book of Acts is Acts chapter 2, right? So what happens in the book of Acts is the church is formed, right? The church as we know it is formed. Uh, The church uh, here in our beginning phase when we're still under Peter is still very much a a Jew-focused, to the Jew first, as the gospel says, uh, a Jew first church. Uh, Later as we get to around chapter 13 in Paul, uh, we will get to the church of Antioch and we see that the church literally becomes a melting pot, a cultural conglomeration of all God's people, right? So here in the book of Acts chapter 3, we we started by looking at a very similar passage uh, from the book of Luke with Jesus actually healing, right? Uh, So here in the book of Acts, we'll see a miracle being performed. Uh, The main heart of our focus today and our study today is going to be here in the first 11 uh, verses of the book of Acts chapter 3. And I want to read for you a couple verses. uh, Starting at uh, verse 1, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. This is the second Uh, time of prayer in their day. They have a morning, a midday, and then an evening prayer time where they go to the temple and they are devoted to, focused on prayer. And so here at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour or three o'clock, and a man lame from birth. In other words, from the time that he has been born, this man, and of course no babies uh, when they're born can walk. Right, But his legs are maimed in a way from birth, we see. right, Where walking is not even within the realm of possibilities. Standing is not within the realm of possibilities. This is a man lame from birth. Kids, this word lame here means something totally different in this context. Okay? It just means he can't walk, so I need you all to hold that. Uh, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate. Not a lot of consensus among historians what exact gate is being spoken of here. Most li- the most likely uh, culprit, there's a particular gate. Uh, it's called the Corinth Gate, and it was made literally of Corinthian bronze. So in other words, this would have been a big gate, big, beautiful, right? Uh, gate that, that would have drawn a lot of attention. And if we know, a lot of the times, the things that are the most well-to-do or the things that look the most aesthetically pleasing have a tendency to draw the wealthy people. Right? Amen? And so we have this place that is the beautiful gate, and He is asking alms of those entering the temple. Again, another word that really doesn't hold a lot of traction in our day, and you might not know uh, what this word alms is. Uh, So the act of almsgiving is literally charity to the poor. Uh, It starts with Old Testament uh, promises, and then in the New Testament we really see it come to fruition that people would be at the temple gates. People would be outside of the temples and they would beg. These are poor people. People who don't have a lot, right? And... So our, our, in today's world, think of, uh, if you want to look at a net positive and a net negative, 
Net positive, think of the Salvation Army Christmas time outside of every, pretty much every store that you go to, right? And they ring the bells. That is almsgiving, right? You take from your wealth, you take from your pocket and give to those who are less fortunate. That's the act of almsgiving. A net negative, people like to think of negative connotations. Think of when you're at that, and everybody, you'll have a particular one, that particular stop sign, that particular red light. Right? And there's someone there that is begging. And we like to take it upon ourselves to judge them whether there's a true need or whether uh, they're just there to, to be lazy. Right? Like, let's, let's be honest with it. We, and we like to put ourselves as judge, jury, and executioner there to say whether or not they should be sitting there doing that. And let's be honest now. Who knows their situation? Raise your hand if you know their situation. Yeah, not a lot of hands went up there. Matter of fact, no hands went up there. But we're quick to put ourselves in the position of judge. Right? Here this man sits outside of the temple, lame from birth. What I need you to understand is in Jewish context, this man has a physical deformity. Right? He has a physical impairment. And if you know anything about the Jewish culture, you know that this makes him ceremonially unclean. He can't go inside the temple. And as a matter of fact, there are different levels to the temple as far as how far someone can get in. And a Jew can come inside to a certain degree, but they can't go further. This man with his physical uh, infirmity can't even go to the place that the Gentiles can go. Now think about that. A man among his own people who goes to his own people, right? Can this man work? Yeah, no, not a whole lot of options available for a man with this physical infirmity. And I, I got a little demonstration for you today. What I want you to start to think of, this is the guy, this is a balloon uh, for those who are not able to see. It's a balloon, right? Pretty, pretty, pretty capable of doing not much right now. Everybody agree? This thing is not doing a whole lot. Uh... You could maybe turn it into a washer for a screw that has gotten a little too big to go in a hole, right? Not a lot you can do with this rubber balloon. This is his legs, right? They're not able to, to have form. They're not able to have shape. And here he sits outside of the place that would and should, by all accounts, be the most generous people, the people with the biggest hearts, and the people who are the most committed to God, Right? But now let's look. Let's go a step further. Let's really put ourselves into his place. Let's see that person that we see at that stop sign, that red light, and we have a tendency to look at with shame and condemnation, right? Now let's put them here in this context of Scripture and see if maybe this makes it new to us, makes it fresh to us. Seeing Peter and John, this is verse 3, about to go into the temple... He asked to receive alms. Now let me show you what his position is. And we'll see it in scriptural context here in a second. This is his position. My head is down. I stare at my feet. This is known as a position of shame. Right? And here's the difference. This man can't even stand to be in shame. He is literally broken over, folded among himself... 
and afraid to even look up at these dignitarians who are so loving and generous and kind and going to serve God, right? And yet, how do we find him in a position of shame where he doesn't even have the courage or feel dignified to look up at these people going inside the temple? We're doing a beautiful job at exemplifying God's Word here in this context, right? We're doing a beautiful job at being the hands and feet of the Lord here in this context. Oh, and it it just happened then, right? It doesn't happen today. This, This is not happening in today's world. Yeah, that's what I thought. Verse 4, and Peter, I'm sorry, I'm going to step on some toes today, and I hope you wore still toes. If you got flip-flops on, just I don't know, take care of them afterwards, okay? Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Think of that. Here's this man outside of the temple gate, the place that is set apart for those who supposedly have the biggest heart for God. Why do they have the biggest heart for God? Because they're not just celebrating their midday prayer in their home, in their place of work. No, they're stopping everything that they can do, that they do, to go to the temple. That means they're pretty well off. And look at how he has been treated to a place where as they come by, he sits folded over on himself, staring at the ground. Family, who are we? Here's my question. As you come into the house of the Lord each Sunday, each Wednesday, as you head to your place of work each Sunday, each Wednesday, when you see these people on these corners that beg for alms, how do you treat them? Do you look at them? Do you acknowledge them? Do you even just give them that that care and concern to make eye contact with them? To look at them as a human being? Even if you don't, maybe you're not financially able to do much, you can say to this person, I'm praying for you. I don't have myself to give to you, but I'm praying for your situation. I'm praying for where you are in this life that your position will be blessed by God. But we don't. And he fixed his attention on them. Family, for the first time in who knows how long, this man looks up from his place of sorrow, his place of sadness, His place of shame, indignation, and he looks up. And in that moment, things begin to change for this man. The miracle that you're going to see starts right here in this moment. Right? Because it took a certain kind of faith to look up with trust, to say, man, there's something different about that voice. There's something different about this person. Because how many times had had he probably been told to look up Look up at me, only so that he could be rebuked and be told, look at your position, as if he's not aware of his position that required his friends to bring him and carry him into this place. He's well aware of his position, family. And in this moment, verse 4, when he says, 
Peter says to him, look at us. It's not to look at him and say, you poor pitiful creature. No, Peter says, look at us. Because he wants to see into the eyes, right? Whether you realize it or not, Peter's been in this same position. Yeah, Peter didn't have a physical infirmity, but Peter had a, phys- he had a spiritual infirmity. He betrayed the Lord Jesus. And if you remember, there's a certain incident on a, on a beach side where Jesus is just cooking up some fish. Jesus is always cooking. Or Jesus is always eating. Jesus is my kind of, it's my kind of guy, right? But Jesus prepares this meal, asks the disciples, do you have anything to bring? And they, they come together and everybody brings what they have, right? And last week we looked at this koinonia type of fellowship where everybody brings what they have together. And then that way, those who don't have enough are made whole, right? And Jesus comes to his disciples on this beach. And he says to to Peter three times, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do Do you love me, Peter? Jesus, I've already told you, yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep, Peter. And the third time, and notice there's such symmetry with Scripture. How many times do we know that Peter denies Christ Jesus? Three times. And three times he crosses out or dots out Peter's infirmities to make Peter into a place where he can be who Jesus called him to be to begin with. Remember, Simon Peter started as just that. Simon Peter. Right? He wasn't Peter yet. He's Simon. And Jesus names him Petros, meaning the rock. And he tells him, upon this rock, meaning Jesus, but bestowing this power upon you, Peter, we're going to build my church. And in that moment, Peter says, heck yeah. Yeah, Jesus, we're going to build a church. And not too much later, we see Peter denying Christ. You know, Peter, the one that's going to help build the church. So Peter understands what it feels like to be feel ashamed. Right? Peter knows what it feels like to have everything that you love and believe crumble in front of you. So when Peter says to this man, look at us. It's not so that he can judge him or place shame upon him. Peter says, look at us. Because in his eyes is the same sympathy. In his eyes is the same dignity that is once been taken away and restored to Him. And He hopes to only give Him just a little bit of that back. Verse 5, And He fixed His attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. So in this guy's mind, he says, Oh man, this guy actually cared enough to have me look at him. Now he's caring enough about me to exchange eye contact with me. He's caring enough about me that he says, look at me. Maybe he'll just give me a few pieces of gold or shekels. Or maybe he'll give me a denarius. Right? Because he's still thinking earthly terms. Man, this guy actually practices what he preaches. Verse 6, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. 
But what I do have, I give to you. Now, remember, I bring us back to this position that we will undoubtedly in the next week find ourselves in. Where we come to that stoplight, we come to that stop sign, we come to those normal places where we may be going to lunch in a downtown setting and the homeless population has, I think the statistic is like 30% has increased in the past uh, five years. Homelessness in our local community. And we go to eat a lunch we don't really need with things in a fridge that we, at our home, with air conditioning. See where this is going? But we're given by God and we're allowed to go do these things. And here we find ourselves in a position where we pass as we see homelessness at an all-time high. How do you treat that person? Maybe you don't have the ability to give, but you do have the ability to acknowledge them and make them feel human once again. And I know what you're saying. Oh, well, addiction has probably put them there. Drugs has put them there. And I don't struggle with that. I don't have... They just need to get their lives right. You don't struggle with addiction. You don't struggle with these things. Let me just... Time out. Let me challenge you. Today when you go home, the rest of your day, that cell phone that you definitely have in your pocket, don't look at it, not once. Right? That TV in your living room that you allow to just become the center point of your home and your family, don't look at it, not once. Yeah, maybe addiction is a little more real in your life than you realize. So by the grace of God, you're just not yet in the position that they find themselves. And I hope that you don't find yourself. But how about let's be compassionate. Let's be stewards of the faith that Christ Jesus called us to be and treat them as people. Peter said to them, I have no said to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, let me take you back for a second. You don't have to flip, but let me let me read this for you. Verse 37 of the book of Luke, chapter 18. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Very important. Not just Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. His proper title. His place. This place, Nazareth, is not a place to... This is not a well-to-do place. It's not a place to say, oh, you know, he must be well because he's from this place or that place. This is kind of a place of condemnation and shame. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now look, that same title of condemnation and shame that once was given to Jesus. Now let's look at this. Verse 6. I have no silver or gold that I give to you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus did what He came here to do, guys. He changed everything. This title that was once one of condemnation and shame is now used to rebuke demons. This title of shame is now used to heal the lame, to give sight to the blind, to give hearing to those who can't hear. Amen. 
Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Did you catch that? Remember our balloon? It's not really capable of much. The name of Jesus didn't just give this balloon the ability to be elastic. Because it's already elastic. Right? Stretch it a little bit. No, it made it strong. Let me show you how this worked. The Word of God was breathed. As we see in the book of Genesis, that the Spirit, the Ruach, was over everything. And the Spirit, that is the Word, comes in the flesh, that is Jesus. Jesus makes a proclamation and says, I'm going to leave behind for you in Jerusalem. You stay there. The Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And now last week, in the past two weeks, we've seen that play out very much. Real life. Now what happened was, this, these bones, these flesh that had no ability, were breathed into. Right? Here's the difference. The Spirit of God is breathed into a lot of people. But not everyone receives the Spirit of God. Amen? See, Jesus, the name of Jesus, sealed it off. It's made whole again. But it's not just made whole. It's made new. And it's made strong. Jesus didn't just give the elasticity the ability to wobble around. No. He made him strong. This is going to become very important because watch this. And he took him by his right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Verse 8, and leaping up, 40 years we'll find in the book of Acts chapter 4, this man had been lame from birth. 40 years. Anybody ever heard of atrophy? Atrophy? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Right? But what happens is your muscles start to deteriorate. Well, if you never had muscles there to begin with, could you imagine what they looked like? Anybody ever seen someone in a wheelchair who was lame from birth? Their legs are not like mine and yours. Alright, now let's look at this. You, we've all seen someone in this position, right? Alright, this person is not just able to get out of the wheelchair. This person isn't just able to uh, kind of put it together and stand. He is made strong. And leaping up this indicates that muscle mass is put into place in that moment. His legs literally did what you just saw. They went from flimsy elasticity to full form and shape. And he entered the temple with them. Forty years unable to walk, never been in the temple. How do we know he's never been in the temple? Because he is ceremonially unclean. So we know we have an actual living, breathing miracle because he enters the temple and people don't say, Get out of here! You're ceremonially unclean. No, He is made new. He is a new creation because of the name of Jesus Christ. 
And he entered the temple walking and leaping and praising God. But we drag in here like it's something we have to check off of a box, off of a list. Here this man is that's always wanted inside the church to be with God's people. And that's how we should come into church. That's how we should share the Word of God. Not, hey man, have you ever heard of this Jesus guy? Let me tell you about Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that gave me new life. I was once dead, and now I live because of Him. And all the people, verse 9, saw Him walking and praising God. Look at what their first attention goes to. A miracle! They watch Him, acknowledge Him, walking and praising God. Lips have the ability to raise a praise. Our legs have the ability to carry us into a position when we can actually be happy to be here. Verse 10. Notice that they see the miracle before they see the man. Verse 10, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. <clears throat> and much like we saw happen all through the second chapter, they were filled with wonder and amazement. Peter goes on. Look guys, I'm going to actually have you read some Scripture at home. Right? This week, I'm going to challenge you to finish reading this third chapter of the book of Acts. They're filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to Him. They wanted the people that had shamed Him and took away His dignity now wanted just a sample of what He's got. Look at how the roles have reversed. And while he clung to Peter and John, remember he went from a, a position of, of, of shame where he wouldn't even look up, and now he's clinging to them like they're his best friends. And all the people were utterly astounded and ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Alright, crazy word. I know. It's a porch. It's a long column, long area of columns with a roof, right? It's a porch. And they ran together in the portico called Solomon's. Alright, we know about Solomon, right? Y'all know about him? Wealthy, like the most wealthy ever. So can you imagine what his porch is going to look like? Yeah, I want to see that porch. I will live under that porch, okay? And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Look at Peter. The one that denied Christ is now saying, oh man, we got their attention. They've seen the miracle. They have seen the Jesus Christ, the hope in His name, be fulfilled to His people. And Peter says, I'm not missing this opportunity. We know that they're fresh off of expanding this church to 3,000. 
Peter's not going to miss an opportunity. By the time he's done with this sermon, it's 5,000 people. In today's world, we call that a mega church. They went from 12 guys wandering around in the desert with a Messiah or a rabbi who was not looked upon highly to now occupying the temple. We're here, y'all. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? He says to them. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified Jesus. Look, he starts his sermon by saying, you see this miracle that happened? It ain't me. That's Jesus, y'all. The same Jesus that you killed and crucified. But it's okay. We know that you did that out of ignorance. Anybody like being called ignorant? No, I'm sure that one went over real well. Look at verse 16. I'm going to wrap us up. And His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. He didn't just give the ability to the legs to walk. No, He made them strong. So much so that the man is leaping and shouting praise. Remember this guy that started by whispering and saying, do you have maybe a little something? And now here he is inside the temple that he's always dreamt of being in, shouting praise to Jesus. What's our excuse? I'm going to close with this. Verse 19 through 21. And this is a challenge that is to all people. All nations, all tribes, all tongues. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Look at that. How were we created in the garden? To live and worship and praise to God the Father. Repent. In other words, distance yourself from your sin. You're not too far gone. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've been through. Repent. Turn from your sins and turn back to God that your sins may be blotted out. Man. No amount of shame, no amount of indignation that the world has put upon you can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter how you dress. God has a purpose for you. If you are breathing, if you are here right now and there is breath within your lungs, God has a purpose for you. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ which Jesus has already came, appointed for you in Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God has spoken by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. Verse 22 is where I'm going to leave you to read these last five verses. I challenge you this week. Oh, you don't know my schedule. I'm, I'm just saying it don't take but about 30 seconds to finish this bad boy off. And I do that because 
I want to put you into the place of authority in your faith. I can't do it for you. I can't make you want God. I can't make you seek God. You've got to want that. You've got to want that in your life. You've got to want that for your friends. You've got to want that for your family. You've got to want that for your enemies. Because that's what Jesus called us to do. I'm going to read one quote for you. And then I'm going to, I'm going to close this in prayer. You guys can come on up. The quote is from Tim Keller. And it's unsighted, meaning it happened in a conversation between Tim and someone else. Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. Remember in verse 19, we repent and turn back to God. They were, they were a reminder of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality once again. A world of peace and justice without death, disease, or conflict. I'm going to pray for us real quick. And we're going to, you can come on up. We're going, to, we're going to do something really a little different after I pray. It's going to look a little different than what we normally do. Let me pray for us real quick. Dear Heavenly Father God, we just pray that in this place, in this time, in this moment, God, that our hearts be made new for You, that our minds be refreshed of You, God, and that we put our full trust and our full hope in You, Christ Jesus. pray these things in Your holy, glorious name. Amen.